Hello and welcome to episode four of the Miyasano English Podcast. My name is Mark and joining me again today are Maurice and Daniel. Say hi guys. Hello everyone. I'm really glad to be back. Yeah, and I'm also really glad to be back. It took us a bit, but we're back. All right, so it has been a little bit over a month since we last spoke to you, and there's quite a bit to catch up on. Following Byron's 3-2 win against Dortmund and the subsequent injury crisis, i.e. Kimmich, Byron has had a pretty poor run of form that we really haven't seen since Hansi Flick took over. The next Bundesliga match day was 14 days after against Werder Bremen, and Byron staggered to a 1-1 draw in thanks to a goal from Kingsley Coman. A few days later in the Champions League, Bayern played RB Salzburg at home and ended up winning 3-1 thanks to goals from Robert Lewandowski, Kingsley Coman, and Leroy Sané. Notably in this match, Mark Oka also got a start, but also ended up being sent off for a second yellow card, and Bayern also managed to clinch the top spot in the group. The following weekend saw them take on Stuttgart, and it resulted in another 3-1 win. Thanks to goals from Kingsley Coman, Robert Lewandowski, and this time, Douglas Costa. Up next was the return leg against Atletico Madrid. Hansi Flick, having already clinched the group, heavily rotated the side. The overall performance was pretty horrendous, but Thomas Muller came on and ended up rescuing a point thanks to a little bit of trickery on his part and drawing a foul and a legitimate penalty and put it away. The following weekend was probably the next Big highlight match if you were looking at the Bundesliga schedule in the beginning of the season as they took on Leipzig. This match was pretty back and forth. Bayern would go down twice and lead once before ultimately drawing with Leipzig 3-3. Three to three. Kingsley Coman was the man who set up all three of the goals, one for Jamal Musiala and two for Thomas Muller. The final Champions League match game against Lokomotiv Moscow, the group of Sage, that is, was the next match. And the big news for this one was that Alfonso Davies came back from injury and Mark Roca got another start. Bayern largely dominated this match and won 2 to nothing thanks to goals from Nicolas Sula and Eric Maxim Chopomoteng, of all people. Finally, this past weekend, the team traveled to Berlin to take on Union. Bayern were completely outplayed, but Lewandowski somehow came to the rescue and earned an undeserved one-to-one draw. On the positive side of things, it looks like Kimmich is getting close to a return and will probably be available shortly after the winter break. However, this five-week stretch was riddled with poor play, defensive lapses, struggles to find goals, and a black hole in the midfield. So, Maurice, where do we start with all of this? I'm going to start with complaining about watching like all of those last few matches. <laughs> I've, I mean, <laughs> that was just so brutal to watch. Like, oh my god! And and I've been writing the match report for the German website, and every game that I wrote about turned into like an utter shit show. Like, excuse me for my language, but it, it was it was just so bad. Um, no, where do we start? I actually looked a little bit on on Understat. And Understat has the expected goals values for all the matches. From match day one through match day five, Bayern ended up winning games by an average margin of 2.3 with their expected goals, while scoring, or scoring in quotation marks, scoring 3.4 expected goals per game. And that dropped to like 1.15 expected goals per match since match day six. And they've actually been outscored if you look at expected goals. So that should tell you 
all about it. Bayern is not really expected to do well in those games. And honestly, I'm kind of amazed that they are still where they are at right now uh, in the table in the Bundesliga because we're still like in second place in the Bundesliga, just like one point behind Leverkusen. And that is despite like a really horrible stretch in the last few games. And the team has kind of somehow rallied and fought their way back and kind of managed not to lose a single game out of all of those. So yeah, <laughs> they are getting through the rough patch right now and they are still in it to win it. So I mean, it's it's looking again like the Bundesliga is passing up their chance to beat Bayern when they are down. I guess that is all I can say so far. <laughs> I didn't really expect anything differently uh, from the season and nothing that really came about the past few weeks really surprised me kind of expected us to suffer from having to play the champions league winning it and all and so on and well we do we are suffering right now gone are the days where Bayern really played this exciting super well-functioning football with an excellent press and we just beat our opponents every week with three four goals to none thrashed them really I don't look at most of those games as bad as other people do, as you guys maybe do. Because I think up until the Union match, it was bad, but not completely atrocious. But then kind of the Union match, it kind of broke me. It kind of... Uh... Yeah, that match was particularly bad. I mean, especially, I think, as we were kind of discussing a little bit before the show, you can kind of give that Atletico match a bit of a pass because of how many people came into the side you know i think i think if i remember correctly there were 10 changes to the yeah previous two lineups it, it was just you know it, it was what it was but apart from you know musiala being in there really you could look at that lineup and say you could you would expect that lineup if you replace Kimmich and musiala I think that's the lineup that you would expect to see in a big Champions League match. Like, that is pretty much our strongest lineup. And the performance that they gave in that match was just hard to watch. I mean, it, it Do just... Do you mean the Letico match? No, the... I'm sorry, the the Union match. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, the rest of that lineup was pretty much our regular starters. And it was it was ugly. I mean, they looked like they had never played together. <laughs> yeah, having a bad day is one thing. But a whole different story is if players like Leon Goretzka are regularly misplacing five-meter passes. We're basically playing kick and rush without the rush part. Like, Jerome Boateng was holding, I think, 19 long balls in the whole first half, up front, aimlessly. And, yeah... It was brutal. Yeah. <laughs> it really was. The, the really pr big problem seems to be, and I mean, this is no revelation whatsoever, but the really big problem just is that we don't have a functioning midfield anymore. Um, and it just speaks to how important Joshua Kimmich is to this side, that we just, I don't know, the midfield is just has just evaporated. It's just not there anymore. We kind of have our back four and then maybe Goretzka fighting in the back and everybody else is like at least 10 15 meters up high of, up the pitch we don't have any rhythm any flow in our game whatsoever there's not really any structure to the game there's also not really any change of pace so basically all the goals that Bayern scores are all completely down to individual class and that is like 
There's one small exception that is uh, Musiala, who had like a couple of scenes every match where he kind of makes like this extra step and then is like this linking piece between um, defense and offense. But other than that, it's just really, really hard to watch. And it's it's taking a tear on everybody. I mean, it's robbing um, Goretzka of his greatest strength, like to, to appear in front of the goal. Robert Lewandowski now has to like go back and like kind of like get the ball and initiate attacks uh, like 40 yards away from goal. And that's just not who he is. I mean, it's... It, it that just reminds me of the Kovac era. Right? It, know, it like, does. He did that it a lot during when, when Kovac was there because... He, he just was not getting involved otherwise, you know, like, and, and no one was, there was no transition through the midfield into the offense. So someone had to do it and no one else was. Um, yep. But and you can make it, the point, you can make the point that Joshua Kimmich to this flick side was as important as uh, Tiago was to that Kovic side. If you remember, mm -hmm. the team looked completely lost without without Tiago. Um, he was the linking piece. He was the one who gave gave the the builder play its structure. And the same is true for Kimmich this season. And as soon as he went out, all of this went completely out of the window. Yep. So I have two two questions for you guys on the back of that. One I think will lead to our next topic. But first of all. Regarding Musiala, I agree with you in a lot of respects that he has been somewhat of that transition player that most of the rest of the midfielders have not been. I still feel, though, that it does not serve him well, that, that role that he's kind of been put into where he's asked to play alongside Goretzka, like behind Muller. It, it just seems like it's again that that's taking away from his strengths as well. And that he's also, he doesn't seem, I don't think he he's quite at that level where he can really like be relied on to set up an attack, if you know what I mean, to, to really guide the offense where, you know, he's distributing the ball around the field and knows where he wants to go and knows what he wants to do with it before he even gets it. What do you guys think? I mean, I think people don't really rely on Musiala as much as his performances forced them to rely on him in a way. Because when he came in for uh, Javier Martinez against Leipzig, I don't think people expect him to change the game, but he did change it. And he changed it because he was playing so well, because he was going to the, those positions that Martinez wasn't, because he unlocked Coman, Goretzka and Thomas Müller. So, so that just kind of happened without real planning, I think. I think in general, he's not a number six, and I don't think he'll ever be a number six. So playing really next to a Leon Goretzka really doesn't suit him that well. He, Do you think he's even an eight? Yeah, I, th yeah, I think he's an attacking eight. Uh, okay. or, or number 10. He's right. more of he a... He strikes me as much more like Muller than, you know, Tolisso even. Like where, I mean, maybe he's better at playing an eight than Tolisso in some ways, but he he just strikes me as a much more attacking force than um, you would expect out of a typical eight. Yeah, the, the player he, he's reminded me most of in terms of his movement is, is Andres Iniesta. Mm -hmm. And so I think he's an attacking eight and not a defensive or a six or a defensive eight. Okay. He's more of a Mr. Özil, Andres Iniesta than a Joshua Kimmich or, I don't know, Sami Khedira or someone. Mm -hmm. I mean, we just have to remember that the kid is 17 years old, right? Yeah. So um, oh, it, yeah. would be, it, 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 it would be pretty I'm unfair to place... I'm not criticizing him. I don't want people to... to... <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm just out here to remind everybody that he is he is a great talent and it would be super unfair for him 
to place all of the faith of FC Bayern into him. Like he's doing a really, really great job considering where, he, where he's coming from. Like he is already more trusted option for Hansi Flick than a Mark Roca. He is already a more reliable option than Javi Martinez. So he's he's been really, really great. He's helped Bayern to kind of like soften that harsh drop of losing Joshua Kimmich and for a 17 year old I mean that is all you can kind of ask for um, and I totally do agree he is not a not a box-to-box midfielder like uh, Quarantine Tolisso who has like a gigantic amount of force in his game but he's just mm-hmm. he's just a really nifty playmaker um, and he's great on the ball uh, he is one of the closest handles I've seen in the Bundesliga in mm-hmm. a long time and so yeah it'll be exciting I mean he he's certainly needs to look into that Goretzka muscle buildup treatment thing whatever <laughs> um, and yeah no <laughs> and yeah, it, we will ha- we'll have a great player <laughs> what did you say I said hanging out with uh, Lewandowski and Goretzka for a few months yep yep that that might be <laughs> that might be a good idea <laughs> <laughs> all right so that does I think lead us pretty well into the next topic which is why given all of that given that Musiala is probably not the best option to be playing alongside Goretzka why Mark Roca cannot get that time and what exactly the issues are surround with Hansi Flick is seeing with him not be in order really so that he's not getting that time because every time he's played I felt like Bayern looked better than at any other time that Kimmich has been gone it's a mystery nobody knows the answers to <laughs> honestly because whenever he is playing I agree with you that he he performed well he performed reasonably well even the game where he was sent off and for mm-hmm. his own stability he was playing well up until that rather dumb tackle or or foul he he drew that got him sent off mm-hmm. so he really has to be exceptionally terrible in training to not even be a substitute in all these games that Bayern was struggling because in the last game against Union, like, we were bitching about it, about the game already. But I really felt that just bringing Roca to allow Goretzka to, to to go up front. But Goretzka was just standing in the back, struggling, not doing anything. And then he was substituted for uh, Corondot Rousseau. Which was, by the way, a really scary moment. <laughs> when Hansi Flick subbed off Goretzka as our like lone player in defensive midfield and he brought on Quarantine Tolisso, I was like... Hmm, this is going to be really interesting, but it actually kind of—I don't know—it it actually ended up kind of working out. But I was I was really surprised by that as well. Yeah, it, it worked out a lot better than I thought it would too. I was just like, oh, okay, so we're just fully committing to this four players at the back and then six up top, I guess. <laughs> but the one match that I think Byron has actually kind of controlled. And maybe you guys can want to disagree with this, but I thought that they actually controlled the locomotive Mo- Moscow game. And that's the first time I can say that since at least the Frankfurt match. Um, I mean, I, I, Bayern has looked okay in other matches. They've looked terrible in a lot of matches. But I thought Roca and Davies being in that match really just helped provide outlets, you know, in terms of buildup play for the entire defense for the offense, like it just made things like click in a way that otherwise has not. No, that is true. That is true. And and like 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 Daniel already said, it 
It is it is really interesting. Mark Rocca has to be really, really, really bad in, 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 in practice. And obviously none of us knows that. But it's just really apparent that Flick has really, really high... He sets a really high bar for players in midfield. And not a, not a lot of players like really clear that bar. That is true for Adrian Fein, who people said good things about before he came to Bayern and then was quickly sent off to alone somewhere else. People said that about, for example, Angelo Stiller, who's who's on the on the youth team, on the U23 team, and who's not had a shot with Hansi Flick. And yeah, I don't know. He just seems to have really high expectations uh, for his for his central midfielders, and not a lot of players can fulfill those expectations. And apparently, Mark Rocca is just one of them. And Flick really has trouble trusting him with that center with that center spot and i i mean your guess is as good as mine to why that is because i mean honestly it cannot be it cannot get any worse like i mean w- what would mark rocker need to do in order to make it worse than like the role that goretzka played in the union berlin match like i i just don't know i just don't know i mean the bad thing about uh, roca is that we defended him l- last time a flick's decision to not play roca that match because we hadn't seen him before and we hadn't seen his performances but now we have seen him and he was playing rather well he was functioning rather well so now it extra doesn't make sense that he's not playing no matter how bad he might be in training if he is performing rather well then it just doesn't make much sense that he's not playing yeah it just feels like there's really nothing left to lose at this point you know it's like there's everything to gain if he goes out and you give him a chance he goes out and plays well then you know, great. If he doesn't, you know, then pull him after 45 minutes and you can always play with no midfield again. I mean, it's not really, I don't really see what, you know, given the way that Byron has played over the last, you know, month and a half, like where, where is the downside to giving him a chance? I, but you know, that's why he's the coach, I guess. I mean, he's the coach, but I guess, (laughs) but it's the problem if if we don't understand what he's doing. That brought down many coach before. So something else that is closely tied to our lack of presence in midfield has been the back four and the defense in total, which has been an utter catas- uh, catastrophe in the last few games. I mean, out of the last 10 matches, I think, we ended up not keeping a clean sheet for nine out of those 10 matches. I think that is like a first in like a super long time. Like I, I went through all the trouble to look for the longest streak of Bayern conceding goals in consecutive matches. And the longest I could find was nine matches. And that was back in 2006. So um, this is this has like historic, I don't know, significance, I feel like. And the, the defense has just been atrocious. I think Manuel Neuer has kind of saved our asses a, a bunch of times throughout the last few matches, or it would have been even worse. Although he also had one or two little mishaps in those games. Um, so... Yeah, the defense is there. Is there any way to fix it, guys? I think it's more of a structural issue than a performance-wise issue. Issue, even though some individual players also are kind of shaky and might need to be upgraded or get their actor back together. In general, I just felt like the goal against Union, or no, not the goal, but the chance we conceded against Union four minutes in, it's just a prime example that that something is wrong with this team right now, and it goes beyond the individual defensive players. If one long ball is enough to completely catch everybody by surprise and have a striker go into a running duel with 
an aging Jerome Boateng, then something's really up. It's more of a general problem concerning midfield, concerning press, concerning everybody up top, then it's just a centre-back problem. Yeah, I, I've been a long proponent of that this largely stems from the two injuries that have really impacted this season in Alfonso Davies and Kimmich at this point. And without both of those guys in there, it creates a lot of issues for distribution. It creates a lot of issues in terms of having Davies back there to kind of as a safeguard to, you know, you know, even if he doesn't defend when someone gets in behind, you know, a Boateng or Alaba or Sula when they make a mistake, he still adds a body that, you know, maybe slows down, you know, a counterattacking opportunity or just whatever the case may be. So I think that the those two guys missing has created a lot of issues that, you know, really just are not solvable without him there, you know, especially if Bayern are playing as high as they do and they are trying to press the way that they want to, which I think has been a little bit less than it was last season for sure. But it's just a problem all the way around when you're missing two of your biggest outlets in terms of creating from the midfield and in attack. And even though Davies is, you know, a left back by nature, he still provides a lot of, you know, when he gets the ball on the wing, he's an immediate threat to carry that ball 30, 40 yards. That's a big deal. We don't really have that when Lucas Hernandez or any of our other, you know, left or right backs are back. They don't have, they don't provide that threat. I'm actually curious to see, and I think that it will basically whether Lucas Hernandez, you know, stays playing left back or if, you know, he gets moved back to center back, given that, I mean, I think Boateng and Sula and Alaba, for, for that matter, have all had pretty poor moments at times. And, you know, not that they've all been just completely horrible, but, you know, they they have been bad enough that I think it warrants a look at saying, hey, do we play Hernandez next to Davies and figure out, you know, the re- you other three are going to have to figure out how to get time at this point. No, I do agree with that because basically all the players in, in defense have shown pretty poor form um, and have been below their own standard, I think. So obviously the addition of Davies brings like a new spark to the team. And we've already seen that his speed is just, I mean, he can run down opposing attackers even though they are might maybe like maybe they have like a five meter head start or anything like that so that is obviously one of the qualities he brings in the last game against Berlin though we also saw that he's still like way below his form uh that we knew from him in spring there seemed to be like issues of like where to be at certain times he had horrible passes at times um but i mean the guy's coming back from injury so we'll kind of have to give him that but yeah i i i do agree to for me also the strongest back four would definitely feature davies and then lucas hernandez both in there and then let's see who gets the other two spots because honestly None of the other guys have so far done anything to convince me that they should be a starter. Yeah, but again, I do think that it's all part of of the same problems that we have been talking about. Of this season just being special without any breaks, without any uh, summer breaks, with the whole Champions League season. And all the problems that we are having are kind of part of the same clockwork. The problems in attack and the problems at the back, they're all kind of intertwined. When Bayern was playing exceptionally well, Last season, and in the summer especially, they were playing well because they were pressing 
opponents out, out of the park. Nobody w- could really handle Bayern's attacking press. And now the thing suggests quieted down that Thomas Müller can't sprint, can't make all those runs that he was making. The same goes for Robert Lewandowski. The same even goes for Komor Gnabry and so on. That just exposed our defensive line to all those long balls. So I do, I do absolutely expect that it, it'll get better with the new year because it really can't get much worse. But in general, I just think it's all part of this of the same clockwork, and the defensive the cogwheel is just it kind of struggling because all the other gears up front are also struggling because they just can't go any faster, can't make all those fronts that they were doing, that they were making, that they could be doing if we were having a normal season. But doesn't Hansi Flick like need to acknowledge this fact and change his scheme? Like, isn't that something we would expect from from a coach of his with his resume? Because I mean, I, I totally agree with you, and he has a great plan A, but it's definitely not working right now because the team is like, I mean, just going on their last gear. So don't you need to come up with a plan B that makes the most of what you have right now? I absolutely agree. I just think the, the solution to, this, to all these problems isn't just to bring in Alfonso Davies, Lucas Hernandez, and uh, maybe a new center back or, or so. Like, the problems are deeper. Like, Davies, if Davies is completely fit next year, in January, then he'll make things better, but he won't solve the problems. That's all, all I'm saying. Yeah, and I'm not saying that he solves all the problems, and Maurice was absolutely right. Obviously, there were some huge issues in that Berlin match, but I, I just... I think that all of those things, I mean, it's like anything, you know, if there's a cog in a wheel that is causing that you take it out, it causes problems, right? You know, it's, it causes problems for everything. And that's, I guess that was just my point is like, realistically, him and in a way, him and Kimmich are almost the two most important players in a way, just because no one can really replicate what they do and what they bring if you know what I mean. And I think that you're absolutely right. The the fatigue is, I mean, let's face it, it's probably the biggest issue out of anything else that we've mentioned is just apart from the injuries. But I mean, you can't discount just how physically and more importantly, I think mentally exhausted they all are at this point. I mean, and I think the two weeks at Christmas will help. I think there may be to something, you know, Maurice, you were asking, you know, if Hansi Flick should have a plan B. And part of, uh, I think part of the reason he really hasn't switched to any kind of plan B is because they're muddling through. Like, do they really need to have a plan B? They are, they topped their Champions League group. They won their only Pokal match, which was nothing. But, I, and, you know, they're still in second place in the Bundesliga. Like, they, if the plan is to kind of like get people a little bit of rest and just muddled your way through until, you know, it gets to January, February, and then you start like really getting back into things, maybe that's something that you just stick with as long as you can. So the plan B is just staying alive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, yeah, but, but, I, yeah, but that won't be successful, right? Because things won't change this whole year. I don't think it's sustainable this season to just pray that things will be better because things won't be better. 
I'm pretty sure that in January that, that Bayern will have a fairly strong January and probably even a, a really good February. But then come March, we'll be back again with people just being kind of tired and maybe having one or two highlight matches. So I don't really... Do you, not, do you guys know how many games we play in January? I don't even know. I, I just looked it up. It's eight games. Eight Like normally the months of January is almost without any games. Like maybe we play like a yeah, like a friendly match and then we play maybe like one or two matches at the very most. And it's eight games this year. Yeah, and this is exactly so, what I'm saying. It's exactly what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, no, no. I was I was trying to add to your point. Yeah. yeah. And then we'll be having this beautiful Club World Cup in, in, in Qatar. I mean, at the very least, the opponents we'll be facing in January are like teams like Mainz, Freiburg, Holstein Kiel and Augsburg uh, and, and so on. So it won't be a peak Atletico Madrid. But in general, I don't really think that you need a plan B for the Champions League. Because if people are fit and they're mentally fit and they're mentally ready and they're up for it, things will be good. And that's why I'm also not really that worried that we won't go through against Lazio Rome, for example. But I think if Hansi Flick looks at those past matches against Werder Bremen, against Stuttgart, against Union Berlin, kind of even against Leipzig, and it doesn't come to the conclusion that we kind of need a plan B, that we kind of need to win games without committing ourselves to all those runs. Because otherwise we'll just be having Kovac-like football matches in the second season and things will be horrible and come March everybody is going to be completely dead on the inside and maybe even on the outside and the season will be lost yeah I guess I would take issue with one thing that you guys said that, that nothing will change because something does change Kimmich comes back and as we've said that that doesn't You can't discount how big of an impact his absence has been on the team. And not, I'm not trying to say, of course, all this other stuff is absolutely true. And we would be in... But Kimmich also comes back, you can argue, somewhat refreshed. He actually did get a break. You know, he's going to have basically almost two months off before he has to come and play another game. Yeah, but That's not insignificant. But we've been struggling with Kimmich even before he was injured. Like, we have been struggling against Lokomotiv Moscow, against uh, on the first match in Moscow, against Cologne, where we scratched out to one wins. Like, we've been struggling yeah. against Salzburg. I think they were leading, and up until the, the 80th minute, it was just a 1-1 or, or, or something like that. So even with Kimmich, Kimmich is, like, he's kind of a magician, but he just won't, he won't fix everything. And, no, he doesn't. And I also and don't no think, and I also don't expect that Kimmich will be the last injury that we'll be having from the no. first team, so. I, I think there's only... I mean, apart from Lewandowski and another injury to like either Neuer or someone like that, I mean, there's not a lot of other people that I think have a bigger impact than Kimmich or even close to as big an impact as Kimmich in Bayern's overall game. It's the big three. It's Kimmich, Lewandowski and Neuer. Those yeah. are the, the three untouchables that if anything happens, we're screwed. Yeah. And, you know, that just is what it is. But, you know, we did lose one of those and we didn't lose a match. While he was gone and while we were horrible, there's also something to be said for that. And getting him back does change quite a bit. Yeah. It's 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 a grim picture that you guys are painting. And I <laughs> and I can I can I can totally see it. I can totally see it. No, it's We're depressing um, you. <laughs> Everybody's predicting us to win the Champions League, to to win the Bundesliga, to win the treble, but but we're sitting here and saying everything is shit. Well, one thing I think we have to keep in mind is that oh, even though we have it worse than a lot of other teams, there are Dortmund still is, 
Dortmund is, is still doing worse. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> but, well, that's true. But just everybody also is has these very tight schedules. These very they're, they're, everybody's going to be tired, especially by the time March rolls around. Like there is not going to be a single team in this world that is not just exhausted both physically and mentally. So, you know, yeah, it's a crazy whether thing. Bayern can handle it as well or better than the other people is probably going to be a big factor in how well they do and how many trophies they win this year. If we're ever going to be having another surprise Champions League winner and just surprise uh, like European champion in the Euros in the summer, it's this season because it's because oh, yeah. everything's possible. Greece, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I totally, I totally agree. One of the big reasons, and I mean, Justin on our German side likes to talk about that as well, is that we also haven't seen a huge contribution from any of our new signings so far. Um, we've covered Roca already, but if we continue on and look at to promoting at Costa or at Bruno Saar. None of them have really stood out so far. To promoting, I still kind of struggle to see what he's supposed to provide for Bayern. I mean, don't get me wrong, he had a he had a decent game against Moscow. He scored a pretty nice goal. I mean, maybe on a, on a couple of occasions, even Lewandowski doesn't score that goal. But Douglas Costa is looking a lot like the Douglas Costa that left Bayern, not like the Douglas Costa that arrived at Bayern. And then with Saar, like he's he's in a weird spot right now as well because he's like a little bit injured. He's healthy. He doesn't really play a ton. But yeah, he, like none of them have really matched the expectations that we have kind of placed in them. Or would you guys disagree? Or did, I, did you guys I, just did, do not have any expectations for any of well, those that's, players? That's my question is, is what, what are these expectations? Because realistically, I never really expected a whole lot from Douglas Costa. I, even Chopa Motang, like he's kind of, I feel like for most of these guys, they're like, my expectation would be that like in a big match, they could, you could play one of them and it maybe doesn't absolutely destroy your chances to win like anything more than that like i don't expect you know douglas costa to come in and score goals and you know be you know leroy sane or you know something like that he just he is what he, he better is. not He's... be leroy sane <laughs> <laughs> but, come know, on and, and you cannot you cannot is... tell me that that you did not talk yourself into some Douglas Costa in those early weeks well, in no, October. I, I talked myself into liking him as a fourth winger. And but like that's my limit the limits of my expectations is that maybe he gets a key goal in a match here or there, but I just don't or provides an assist more likely because we all know how many crosses he likes to kick in. But you know, it's like I just don't expect those guys really to do much of anything. Oh, I, I don't expect Those goddamn crosses. Ah, I can't see them. <laughs> <laughs> Just seeing them on repeat right now in your head, aren't you? Uh, those crosses. <laughs> They're all the same. They're all low, low crosses. <laughs> the worst part about it is half of them actually make you think that there's some kind, that they look dangerous. Really? But they're to no one. There's no one there. <laughs> I Just, never think they're dangerous. I never think they're dangerous. No, they look like the, the trajectory and like where they end up in the box half the time. I'm like, Like, oh, that actually looks like a good cross, but there's no one five feet within five feet of it. It's like, okay. That's so. that's well, the then. trouble that he that he puts you into. That's the twilight zone of Douglas Costa. He's, it's like, <laughs> oh, that doesn't look too... Oh, never mind. It looked nope. absolutely horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Do you guys think he should just shoot more? Like, I, I know that sounds kind of crazy because, like, he takes some random shots from, like, 30 yards out occasionally. But, like, I feel like he actually... 
is somewhat dangerous when he shoots, but he never looks to shoot in, in those situations. I think Hansi Flick should play him on the right so he can't make all those blind crosses with his left foot. <laughs> so then yeah. he'll, so then he can shoot like against uh, Stuttgart where he scored or he can p- pick his head up and look actually for his teammates. All those blind, blind crosses from the left-hand side that's not working. And I, and I kind of don't understand why he's playing so much on the left. Because whenever he's playing on the right, he's decidedly better. I agree. Yeah. As for the other signings, I'm okay with with Sar. I'll defend him, but all the rest of them have been a thoroughly disappointment. True promoting, I think I'm actually on the lower end of you all because I wasn't impressed even in the game against Moscow where he played and he scored. Yes, the goal was good and especially his, his goal celebration, but everything else was just like whenever Trooper Moting is playing, I'm asking myself why Joshua Zirkse isn't playing. Because all those promises that people were saying about Trooper Moting, that he would bring something to the team that a young talent as Zirkse wasn't bringing, I don't see them. I'm basically seeing a 19-year-old in the body and the behavior of a 31-year-old. I think that's fair, except that I think that we all expect Xerxes going to go out on loan. And I think that Bayern probably brought in Chupamotang thinking that Xerxes would be out on loan already. And so, like, I think Flick just doesn't want to roll with, you know, with Xerxes right now, knowing that he's probably not going to be there in a month. So I'd rather get, you know, someone who I know is some time and hopefully get him integrated. But... I, I I agree with your point. I think it makes yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. But. I agree, but then again, we did have for like half a year a pretty well functioning Sandro Wagner, and he actually was covering well for Lewandowski. He was scoring, he, he was contributing, and true promoting isn't even close to doesn't even close to have the impact Sandro Wagner had. Sure. Yeah. Should we should we discuss the last of those signings at all? Because we've kind of you know conspicuously ignored the fact that. You know, Liori Sané was assigning this summer and has really not lit it up either. <laughs> I mean, Leroy Sané has, as Hansi Flick pointed out, he's come back from a from a bad injury. He hasn't played soccer or professional football in almost close to a year. Um, he's now back since like half a year. Yeah, uh, we have not really seen a lot of a lot of him so far. Um, he had this great first game against Schalke, which made everybody completely fall in love with him. Um, and then we kind of realized, yeah, Schalke is really, really, really bad. Like, whatever you do against a team <laughs> like that bad, like, it just doesn't really matter. And no, so so the problem with Lidoris Sané kind of seems to be that he just disappears for like 70 minutes. And he doesn't even really like run back on defense. He's not really involved in defense all that much. And that is like that is not really something that Bayern is looking for in their wingers typically. Um, and like for example, Kingsley Coman has been getting a lot better at running back mm-hmm. and actually helping out defending. And Leroy Sané really hasn't so far. His body language is like a little bit slacking. I feel like. And yes, yeah, so far he seemed to be like good for two to like five specific actions per game and 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 that has been it and they are kind of like boomer bust so i'm i mean he just needs a little bit more time i guess and it's really hard for a new player to come in into like a new system that is right now not working at all and be be like expected to make something and like change something it's like that's just really hard position to find yourself in and that is the most i can say to defend him i don't know about you guys (laughs) 
I agree. I think people are giving him a hard time right now and probably rightfully so. But there's a few things I think you just got to remember is like, number one, no one is playing well. And it's hard to be, you know, apart from Kingsley Coman and, you know, Neuer and maybe Lewandowski, if you really want to be generous, like there's really not anyone that's playing particularly well. And so it it really, it's hard to be a player on your own, like, especially when you're coming off an injury, when you haven't played in that long where you are basically just dragging everyone along with you and making up all that difference on your own. And, you know, it's a new team. There's there's a lot of, you know, he's getting used to new tactics. There's just a lot of different things that I think, you know, I, I don't think we should all be that surprised that he's struggling a bit. I think that, you know, we need to give him a opportunity to kind of get a little bit more integrated. Some of the things that you mentioned in terms of the defense and, you know, I guess buying in in a way buying into the system that's that's a little bit more concerning to me but if he gets to the point where he's as dangerous as maybe we all expected him to be maybe you give that a little bit more of a pass than what you know we do at the moment but I think that's something that Hansi Flick is definitely going to have to and will really impart on him is that he's going to have to start you know working on that side of the game more. Yeah. Honestly, I don't think we'll be talking about Lira Sané as a disappointment come half a year, come nine months. I think r- right now he's having his he's having a slew of problems with the fact that he that he was injured for a year, that he has switched clubs, that he has to come into a team that is kind of dysfunctional in most games. But he's shown enough of me for me that I don't think we'll be talking about him that much in a year. Yeah, this is great. We're all Leroy Sané apologists. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, go work for his PR team. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Manu Neuer just showed us, like in the last two years, just how much time you you have to, just how much time it takes for you to come back from an injury, yeah, to, to your prime level of performances. Agreed. So let's uh, move on to our final little bit. We're gonna, well, Maurice, why don't you take this over? Actually, since you're the uh, the presenter this week. <laughs> um, yeah. No. So if you haven't checked out our website recently um we have like a little gig running shame on um you. yeah shame <laughs> on you first but then like go and check it out right now uh, because we have a little something for you um it's an advent calendar every day uh, we reveal one player that we would have liked to play for Bayern at one point in their career. It's called like something like favorite signings that never happened. Um, and I was just wondering, so far we've revealed 15 players. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 15th of December. And so, yeah, I've been just wondering, guys, so far out of the players that have been picked, which one is your favorite? Like, who's the player that you would have liked most to play at Bayern? Mark, do you go okay. first? Oh, me? Yeah, go for Okay. So I actually I contributed to this calendar just as you did, uh, Maurice, and I'll pick I'll pick one of your players that you presented. I'll pick the Belgian player Kevin De Bruyne that you uh, presented like I think last week. I think Kevin De Bruyne was a topic for Bayern right at the start where people realized that the time of Ayn Robben and Franck Ribéry is coming to a close. And that while Kevin De Bruyne wouldn't be an unknown successor to them, I think he would have transitioned Bayern's play to attack more through the center. And I can just dream of a midfield where Kimmich is playing a functioning right back, Thiago in the midfield, De Bruyne a bit up front and Thomas Müller a bit up front. And I think that's just that's just a very exciting prospect. 
for me and for everybody else. And I think De Bruyne's development in Manchester City, where he went in, in that summer where Bayern could have signed him, just shows that I think Karl-Heinz Rummenigge really has not been that happy that he didn't splash the cash back when we had the opportunity to sign him. All right, so since uh, I was actually th- leaning towards Kevin De Bruyne myself, but instead I'm going to go with uh, Julian Nagelsmann, who was a more recent addition to our little advent calendar. But the the irony here is that I, I think we're all pretty happy with Hansi Flick at the moment. However, I, I do think that Julian Nagelsmann was mu- very much on the radar of FC Bayern for a long period of time, at least you know well before the Niko Kovac era, and his style and his method and just the way that he goes about things i think suited byron far better than pretty much any of the other candidates that we had discussed up until hansi flick became manager and really even before apart from the you know the the few months under yep hank is really since pep Guardiola left and i think that's we all kind of saw Julian Nagelsmann as the heir apparent to that type of, you know, style and system and where FC Bayern was headed at that time. And, you know, to, to not see him come, I, it was disappointing. And I think it's still, you know, there's still room to be critical of, you know, not bringing him in or instead of Niko Kovac at that time. All right, now it's up to me to pick my player. Uh, Daniel, you picked one of the articles I wrote, so I'm going to pick one of the articles you wrote. And I was I was so happy to find this play on the list. And to be honest, I did not even know that Bayern was like so close to signing him at one point. Like, what was at least rumored to sign him? Um, and the player I'm talking about is Juan Pablo Aymar. Me and two friends of mine back in high school, we all picked one player out of Argentina's national team. My best friend, he chose Leo Messi. Another friend of mine picked uh, Riquelme. And I was left with Aymar. And we all got uh, Argentina tr- uh, jerseys for the uh, 2006 World Cup. And so Aymar was kind of like the player that I chose. And I don't really know why. I didn't really watch a ton of his matches. But I, I started to follow him a little bit more. And and I think the picture that you point in the uh, uh, that you paint in the article, Daniel, is a really interesting one because you you say that he would have been a great option to fill in the void that was left by uh, Michael Ballack leaving FC Bayern in after the 2006 season. And I I do totally agree. We needed we desperately needed a creative offensive midfielder in that era, and there just was nobody there. Um, and yeah, that made it that made it really tough for that team in the 2006-2007 season to achieve really anything. And Juan Pablo Aymar with his all the skills that that he has, like being this like kind of like typical offensive midfielder, he would have been like I think probably one of the better solutions to to fill this void because as we know, none of the players that Bayern had in his in its squad was really well suited to fill that to fill that hole um and they brought in only mark von Bommel that off season um who was well definitely not an offensive midfielder so yeah good 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 article uh i really encourage everybody to check it out and check out the entire series as well um and yeah i mean we are through today today 15 there are like a couple more days left um and it's it's all interesting players so yeah check it out and check out our website in general it is it is worth your time thank you for the compliment (laughs) no you're welcome i i really like it i really like it (laughs) 
All right. So on that note, should we go ahead and wrap this up? Yep. And in that case, they will move on and uh, hopefully come back to you in a few weeks time uh, with better news. (laughs) Hopefully Byron can pick things up and we don't just have to bash everything that we see for the, you know, 90 minutes, but you know, in any case, we will get back to you soon and it's been a pleasure. See you next week or whenever we come back. (laughs) I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas and especially healthy holidays as well. As we all know what's still going on around the world. If you've listened up to this point, then please do give us a feedback. We'd love to hear it. You can do that either over on miasamavod.com, our website, with comments or on Twitter. Or if you actually want to go the extra mile and give us feedback and help us, then maybe visit iTunes. Um, Is it still called iTunes? Yeah, visit iTunes and comment there. It would help us very much. And finally, this whole thing does cost... A bit of money. So if you really, really want to help us, I'm linking the Mies on the Road Patreon on the website as well, which actually might only be written in German, but you'll get the gist. And, well, if you actually want to help us, then you'll know how to help us. So, yeah, Merry Christmas, ho ho ho, and goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>